Please do join me now in taking out your Bibles and turning to Philippians chapter 4. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us be our rule. May Your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we are here at week number five, um, peace under pressure. Um, Join with me as I read Philippians chapter four, verses one through nine. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What do you think about? What do you think about? Now, the title, the title of this message is a fairly common question, isn't it? Especially if it's followed by a blank, a fill in the blank. What do you think about something? What do you think about someone? Now, now less common is letting this question just stand by itself. But that's how it's being used today. What do you think about? This question being asked that way is asking you to evaluate yourself. In other words, what occupies your mind? Where is your mind? Now, it is right to ask questions of Scripture, right? I mean, Bible study. Think about it. Those simple steps. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? Uh, we, we ask questions of Scripture, and God 
is pleased through the working of the Holy Spirit to, to give us understanding and to give us strength to put that word, put his word into practice. So it is right to ask questions of God's word. But in scripture, God's word, God himself confronts us and asks questions of us. Like, for example, what do you think about? What do you think about? Now, for six weeks, we've been unpacked, we're unpacking and exploring both the, the content and the context of, of those four well-known and well-loved verses, uh, verses four through seven, beginning with rejoice in the Lord always and ending in the peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've been looking not only at the content of those four well-known and well-loved verses, but also the context in this series, Peace Under Pressure, because we've seen that Sometimes just being told to rejoice and being told to not be anxious actually has the opposite effect. And instead of being encouraged, we walk away discouraged because we're living in a sinful and fallen world. This time between the already of Jesus's first advent and the not yet of his second advent, his return and living in the tension between the already and the not yet is living in a time of pressure both pressure, foreign coming to us from the outside and domestic rising up from the inside. I mean, indeed, we are threatened, threatened by persecution from the outside, threatened by our own disordered hearts rising up from the inside. But as we've been seeing and we will continue to see, the God of peace himself gives the peace of God to his people in the midst of pressure. Speaking of pressure, Paul is writing this letter, most likely from house arrest or or some kind of prison there in Rome in 61, 62 AD. He's writing back to the church that was the beginning of his second missionary journey when he, he went from Asia into Europe and he established a church. We saw, remember, three surprising conversions, Lydia, a businesswoman, a slave girl, and the Philippian jailer. That was the beginning of his ministry there in Philippi. And we've seen and mentioned that if you had to come up with a theme for Philippians, that theme running throughout these four chapters, these one hundred and these 210 verses would be this, joy in the gospel because of the gospel. We see joy about 20 times, forms of joy. And Paul is even speaking as he writes from prison about joy, his joy for the people, his joy that the gospel is being promoted. He even says at the beginning, of course, of chapter four, he's speaking of my brothers whom I love and long for my joy. It's an affectionate relationship between Paul and the people, but it's also that joy coming from the gospel. Because if we've, as we've also said, that, that Philippians here is the highest concentration of the word gospel. And just because the word gospel is there doesn't necessarily, like in our own day and age of just mentioning that, that doesn't necessarily bring its effects. But here you see more times the gospel is mentioned in such a short letter. Again, joy in the gospel 
because of the gospel. And you see that in his greetings, in his thanksgiving and prayer. You see that as he promotes the truth of the gospel, his relationship with the gospel and the the church's relationship with the gospel. Beginning in chapter 3, he's bringing to bear truth versus error because there are threats from the outside as the church is persecuted, but there's threats on the inside, both legalism on one side, one ditch, and license on the other side, another ditch. And here for nine verses, he is exhorting and encouraging the church. And then after that, he will give some final thanksgivings and greetings and wrap up his letter. Well, last week, I want to review and make a few comments about where we were last week as we looked at verses 6 through 7 in peace through prayer. Remember, we looked at comprehensive prayer and incomprehensible peace. And one way you could hear those verses, read those verses, think about those verses is this. If you pray... There's peace. But what happens if you pray and the anxiety is still there? And what happens if you pray and maybe the anxiety even increases the worry, the fear? Again, remember I said earlier, these verses should provide uh, encouragement. And yet you walk away possibly discouraged. It's supposed to have one effect, but it seems to maybe have the opposite effect. What if the peace, the peace that we talked about last week, this peace that passes under, surpasses all understanding, that guards your hearts and your minds, what happens if this peace can't be found? Is it, is it sin or is it not sin? You know, I, I think a wise question To always ask, especially um, uh, leaders in the church need to ask this. Is it due to willfulness or is it due rather to weakness? Is it sin that's due to to willfulness or, or, or weakness? Remember, sin has corrupted everything. The fall, there's not a square inch on earth that's not been affected by the fall into sin. It's affected things spiritually, of course. It's also affected things physically. It messes up everything. Um, There's a a book years ago uh, on sin, and it said its subtitle was, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Um, And so when you think about humans, people that read these words... We are both what? Material and immaterial, right? We, we, are, we are psychosomatic. We are body and soul, as it were. You see, mental illness exists. I've been reading a couple of books over the last few months. One is called Grace for the Afflicted, a clinical and biblical perspective on mental illness. Another book is Descriptions and Prescriptions, a biblical perspective on psychiatric diagnoses, and medications. And they have been outstanding as they go to God's word, but also use the common grace that God has provided in the world of medicine, in the world of mental health. Because who are we? We are body and soul. 
We are spiritual and material beings. And remember what Jesus says. And our adult class has been looking at it. You know, Jesus says to to people, to people who may read these verses and say, where's the peace? My anxiety is actually increased. Here's what Jesus says. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your not at peace, worried souls. Isaiah the prophet speaks of the servant of the Lord to come and he says this, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. What a savior we have. And we read in Ezekiel, after God surveys the failure of Israel's shepherds to care for his people, we read this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. So my friends, if you are someone who reads verses 6 and 7 and you're like, do not be anxious about anything. Well, maybe not to the extreme of anxious about everything, but anxious and worried about some things. And if you can't find the peace, you still hear the words of Jesus saying, come to me, find rest. You, you still know that that Savior won't break you. He'll deal gently with you. He he won't quench you. He will be gentle with you. What a what a God there is. What a what a great Savior we have. So I just wanted to circle back because I was thinking a little bit this past week about those verses. And the good news about just continuing to march through a section you can go back and revisit. But we need to move forward now into verse 8. Verse 8. I want to read it again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's start at the end of that verse. Think about these things. Um, Thinking is an action. Thinking is an activity. Uh, You can't really see it, but certainly we do it, don't we? To think about. To think about. I want to use the expression that thinking about means talking to yourself. Think about, think on, meditate, dwell. Not empty yourself, but but fill yourself. To think, to to take into account, to consider, to reflect. Thinking, I know this is going to be repetitive, but thinking is thoughtful. It's full of thoughts. So if prayer 
which is what we looked at in verses 6 and 7, is, is talking to God, then thinking, which is really the focus of verse 8, is, is talking to yourself. Y'all have run into people, right, who talk to themselves. You know, they're, they're painting in a room and they don't know you're around, right? And you think there's two or three people in the room with them, right? No, they're just talking to themselves. And usually, you know, there's a bit of humor um, going on there. They're, they're enjoying themselves. They're keeping themselves company doing a solo task, right? Some people probably sing in the shower, right? You're talking in the shower. You're singing. But that's kind of not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the talking to yourself that's done here in your head, your mind. Some of you may be familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones and his book, Spiritual Depression. We've used that in the past when we've looked at some of those psalms of lament, Psalm 42, Psalm 43. And Lloyd-Jones, um, a, a British um, pastor of the 20th century, um, said this, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression in a sense is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves, Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? And I see that paralleled in 6 and 7, which are the anxiety and the worry and the lack of peace. Somebody's talking to you. But now in verse 8, it's shifted. Talk to yourself. Think about these things. Think. Think. So with the activity of thinking being seen as talking to yourself, we're going to open up and explore verse 8 in the context of all nine verses by asking three questions. Talking to yourself about what? And why? And how? Talking to yourself about what? And why? And how? So first, thinking or talking to yourself about what? What's the object of your thinking? Notice how Paul ends that verse. Think about these things. These things. There's an object of your thinking. Now, this is a representative list. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't carry everything. It's representative. It's not exhaustive, but it's expansive. It is comprehensive. You know, we, 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 we talked last week about these words, what? Uh, anything, everything. But did you notice that repeated word, whatever? Whatever, whatever. You know, it's interesting. The word whatever has got a connotation these days, right? Like, I don't care. Like, whatever, right? It's kind of a sarcastic shrug the soldier, shoulders, whatever. But look how it's used scripturally. Whatever. Whatever is true. 
Now this list, and bear with me, this list is a pagan list, but it's also a Christian list. In fact, when it gets down to any excellence, any moral excellence, it's, it's the best word that classical Greek had for virtue. Okay? All of these things are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellence and worthy of praise. On the one hand, your, your most thoughtful Greco-Roman citizen, educated, studied, would nod their heads, yes and amen. I, I want to think about what is true. I believe in honesty. I, I, I want to be concerned about the honorable, what's worthy and worthy of respect. I, I want to think about what's just, what really is right. Something that is pure, that is holy. Something that is lovely, that is beautiful. And a word that's being banted around these days, winsome, commendable. It's got a good reputation. It's morally excellent, and it's worthy of praise. You know, Christians aren't the only people that can praise things, right? This list is not exhaustive, but it is expansive. You know, I think there's a tendency for all of us to drill down and say, this one thing is true. Now, when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, amen, and yes, he is the embodiment of truth. But as Francis Schaeffer remarked, all truth is God's truth. You know, does the sun rise in the east? Yes, that's true. Does it set in the west? Yes, that's true. Does a triangle have three sides? Yes, that's true. And is a sunset lovely? Yes, it's an expansive list, but, but in the context of what Paul has been doing here in Philippians, as he writes this church, pointing them to the gospel, pointing them to Christ, he's, he's taking this list of what the average educated Greco-Roman citizen, and he's, and he's pouring content in it as well. I think the way this list, and we're not going to spend much more time on the list, um, I think this way this list can be understood is for a, for a, the pagan, the non-Christian, uh, it's kind of a discreet list. You know, there are true things, there are honorable things, there are just things, and pure things, and lovely things, and commendable things, and excellent things, and things that are praiseworthy. But just as Paul in the fruit of the Spirit, when he speaks of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, just as you really can't separate all of these facets and aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, why? Because they're all connected, right? I mean, the person that's joyful is also going to be patient. I mean, within reason, of course, but but the fruit all come together. And in a similar way, the Christian kind of understanding of this is, is it, it's, it all hangs together. It's not so much discreet, it's, it's inseparable. There's truth and honor and, and, and justice and purity and loveliness and commendability and excellence 
and praiseworthiness. Paul writes the church and he says, think about these things. I mean, he's just said, don't be anxious about anything. Pray, talk to God. He's just said, don't be anxious. Think about these things. Talk to yourself. Isn't that pretty neat? In response to anxiety, in response to pressure, start talking. Talk to God in prayer. Talk to yourself. Think about things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. So I want to stop for a moment before we go on and just revisit the title. What do you think about? What do you think about? What, what are you thinking about right now? What, what's on your mind? My mother used to pick me up from school and the drive home could either be wonderful or not so wonderful. You know how that is. Um, and if I was quiet, my mom would say, a penny for your thoughts. A penny for your thoughts. That must have been an expression she grew up with. Well, I was not going to start talking for that little money. She was going to have to up, up it. And eventually, yes, eventually, as good mothers can often do, she pried open my head. And I shared, a penny for your thoughts. Now, this verse is not here just to be a list. You know, the Christian life, as we at Grace and Peace know, is not a matter of making lists and checking them off. It's tempting, but that's not what the Christian life is about. Because not only thinking or talking to yourself is about what, but also why. What's the purpose of thinking or talking to yourself uh, about these things. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's another way to relieve the pressure of anxiety. One, one, one pressure relief valve is you pray. You talk to God. This other pressure relief valve is you, you talk to yourself. You, you, you think. Because we know that thinking shapes the attitudes and thinking will sooner or later direct our words and our actions. Whatever occupies our mind will sooner or later determine speech and action. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, of course, goes beyond outward appearance, goes beyond outward action, and he drills down to the heart. You have heard it said but I say to you, he was correcting the wrong interpretation of Scripture. So this list really does, it's not a checklist of sorts, but it does serve in a way to guide and direct our thoughts about God. It can serve to guide and direct our thoughts about people. Remember, Paul had just said to 
I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Obviously, as we talked about a few weeks ago, something was going on between these two. We don't know how it was solved. We do know that they were told to help, others were told to help them in the Lord, help one another in the Lord. You wonder if Yodia started thinking about Syntyche like this. What's true about her? What's honorable about her? What's just about her? What's pure about her? What's lovely about her? What's commendable? What's excellent? What's praiseworthy? Yes, I'm having a problem right now with her. But how can I think the best and not the worst? My friends, if you're in a difficult relationship right now with people and until the day we're all going to be in one stage or another of difficult relationships with people, could you imagine if you thought about this person that you're having difficulty through the lens of this list? If you want to think the best and not the worst of somebody, put this as your windscreen through which you look at the other person. I know personally it's, it's done a great service. It's changed me and my attitude. It's even a guide and a direct, helps direct our thoughts about ourselves, right? I mean, we feel guilty and rightly so when our mind is, is occupied right. Think about this, the counter list. Think about this, whatever is false, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is ugly, whatever is uncommendable, whatever is very poor, whatever shouldn't get any, I mean, think about it. When our minds go there, this list is saying, no, don't go there, go here. It, it can even help us not with our, only our thoughts about God, but about people, but about ourselves. You see, in a day and age when there's a lack of civility out there and an increasing amount of cruelty, this list helps put the brakes, I believe, on what we say and do because it doesn't address what we say and do. It actually goes underneath that. It goes to the root level, the root of our thoughts. Remember in Hebrews 4, in terms of the word of God being double-edged or two-edged, remember it speaks of the word of God discerning what? The thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word, God's spirit takes a look at the actions, takes a look at the takes a listen to the ears or to the words but goes down to the level of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Thoughts and intentions that none of us would at times want anybody else to know. So not only thinking or talking to yourself about what and why but also, also how. What are some ways in which we can think about 
these things. There's another common expression, right? What were you thinking? What were you thinking, right? You know, fill in the blank of a scenario. What were you thinking? And, and, and that's right, you weren't thinking, right? Actually, you, you were thinking. You just weren't thinking about the right things, right? What were you thinking? I was thinking I could get away with it. What were you thinking? No one would ever know. What were you thinking? We're always thinking, right? We're never not thinking. This is a call to think rightly. So the first step is to realize that not, not that you weren't thinking, but you, you weren't thinking about the right things. There's a book by Alan Jacobs. I think it's calling my name. It says, How to Think, a Survival Guide for a World at Odds. How to think, how to slow down, be deliberate, be, again, thoughtful. Not just thoughtful and nice and kind and all that, but actually be thoughtful, full of the right kind of thoughts. Thoughts that are what? True and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. So this list, again, is representative, it's, it's comprehensive, it's expansive, and it points us, I think, to a couple places, God's word and God's world. How? How do we think about these things? Well, we look to God's word written, right, to guide us. Because God's word is going to talk about truth and honor and justice and purity and loveliness and commendability and excellence, and things that are praiseworthy. So we look to God's word, but, you know, we also look to God's world around us, right? Remember in Ecclesiastes, we would all of a sudden, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, Solomon would say, enjoy a good meal. Enjoy the time with your wife. Enjoy your work, even though it's futile. Occasionally he would say, Enjoy it. Why? Because things like meals and friendships and sunsets and sunrises and mountains and vacations and baseball teams when they're winning can be commendable, right? Worthy of praise. It's not just God's word, it's God's world. But in particular, we look to God's word in the flesh, Jesus. And not just to guide us, but to forgive us. And more about that in a moment. So, where can we think about these things? How can we think about these things? Well, the worship and the work of the church should be guided and guarded and governed by this list. Because here on the beginning of this new week, we're reoriented. We're, we're um, renewed as to what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Because if you're like me, 
weeks are difficult and God has provided a day, a day of worship and rest to reorient us, to renew us. It's a glimpse of what awaits in the worship of the church. So let's end with a few final remarks. The question is this. What do you think about? Not what do you think about politics? What do you think about the state of our economy? What do you think about how this person is doing a job? What do you think about? No, no. (laughs) just what do you think about? What do I think about? If you think guarding your actions and words are hard, at least there's an external restraint, right? Things can take us to jail pretty quickly, right? It's a pretty good incentive. But how about our thoughts? What do you think about is a heart-searching question that is so simple and yet so precise and devastatingly sharp. What do you think about? And then there's a request. There's a request. Remember Psalm 139 that was read earlier? O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. And then how does that psalm end? With a request. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Wait a minute. I thought God had already searched him. I thought God already knew his thoughts. No. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish pastor in the 1800s, said something that many of us know and remember. He said, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And here's the context of what he says. Learn much of your own heart, and when you have learned all you can, remember you have seen but a few yards into a pit that is unfathomable. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether, you ready? Lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. You see, when you're asking God to search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, you're asking in a way to search yourself. But notice how Psalm 139 ends. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way 
everlasting. My friends, God's word and God's spirit lead us to Jesus. You see, the answer, the provision is found in our Savior. You know, earlier, a moment ago, I referred to the fact that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What do you think about? God knows what you and what I think about. And if that passage in Hebrews didn't continue, it would be a terrifying passage. And maybe that's its purpose. Nothing can be hidden. Is there something right now in your life that you're expending a lot of energy to hide? Something that is definitely not true, not honorable, not just, not pure, not lovely, not commendable, not excellent, not for a moment worthy of praise. Well, if there is, I've got some great news for you. Some really good news. Because, because listen to how it continues. In verse 14 of Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My friends, if you ask the question, what do I think about? And the answer is something that you would not want to share. Share it with the Lord. Share it with Him. He knows. Take it to Him. Take it where? To the throne of grace. And what is at the throne of grace? Mercy and grace in time of need. My friends, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As we take up our cross and as we follow Jesus, we think about these things because they're all found in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit. We thank you for your word, which is indeed double-edged. It can knock us down, but also pick us up. It can wound us. It can heal us. It can uncover us and cover us. Oh, Father, 
Help us to know that through Jesus we have we have that, that there is mercy and grace when we have not been thinking about these things. So Father, be pleased to more and more renew our mind that as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as we run the race that is before us, we would think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. We thank you, God, that all of these are found in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.